peace, my friends, and peace especially to those willing to fight for it. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Josh. This is In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about true people's liberation movements and revolution. Today I wanted to hop on quickly to talk about someone that I am actively learning about and some of the lessons that I am drawing on and, uh, you know, hoping to incorporate into the different struggles and organizations I belong to. So, for those who, like me, may never have heard of Sister Safia, or Safia, my apologies, Safia Bakari, uh, she was a member of the Black Panther Party, I believe she was also within the uh, kind of space and formation known as the Black Liberation Army. And, of course, she was a part of the Jericho Movement, helped to, I believe, found the Jericho Movement, and was very much involved, especially in uh, the struggle to free all political prisoners. So, the reason why I am wanting to speak about this sister is because I have the very great opportunity to belong to organizations which have a lot of former Panthers or former BLA members, former Young Lords, and others who were either in MOVE or um, other collectives and organizations that were around in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And actually, very cool enough, there's a couple comrades, a couple, you know, pretty old comrades, not like, no shade, all love to our elders, but, um, you know, up there in years who've been around since the 60s dude that uh that just comes with so much experience right that it that kind of life um especially that life in struggle um there's so much to be learned from these folks so I have been trying my best to really you know take a step back in some of the the more like news oriented like international uh questions of course always important always trying to keep up on these but i find that so many of us who are currently trying to get engaged in struggle so we know so little about the struggles that have existed and do exist here on turtle island today I know for myself, I still am learning much, and I still have much more to learn. Um, So I'm very grateful and thankful for the Black Alliance for Peace, for Spirit of Mandela, for the Nicaragua Solidarity Coalition, and for other places and spaces that I've been able to connect with 
I'm looking forward to building more relationships with folks, looking forward to critically engaging with these histories, these individuals, these ideas, and also beginning to really develop a concrete material practice uh, individually and also organizationally. So, Safia Bakari was very instrumental, as I said, through the Black Panther Party, the Black Liberation Army, and also through the Jericho Movement, which I am still learning much about. I know uh, Brother Jaleel Mutakim and others who are part of the Spirit of Mandela have um, taken part in spearheading this effort. I know many who are actively engaged in the prisoner solidarity work, prisoner support work, um, tend tend to either have uh, an awareness, a history, or a current organizational relationship with uh, the Jericho movement, especially, again, as I said, if they're involved in political prisoner work. Now, I don't know much for myself about the kind of origin story to the organization, but I do know many who are a part of the ongoing struggles to free all political prisoners, and I often hear the Jericho name brought up amongst them in a positive sense, so that always makes me happy to hear. And Sister Bakari was... Uh, from all that I've read so far extremely passionate to say the least about overcoming the challenges which had previously faced the Panthers and the Black Liberation Army throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s and then also looking forward to the movements, the struggles, the collectives, the groups, and those who were getting involved on the ground uh, later on in her life, right? And something has struck me as of late, and I've been speaking a lot about some of these questions of seriousness, some of these questions of ignorance, some of these questions of capability, and also some of these questions of, uh, you know, correct approach. And something that really uh, is mesmerizing to me in the little bit you know, only the small amount that I've been able to check out from Sister Bakari has been pretty moving, to say the least. When speaking about contradictions, uh, both among those of us who are in struggle, in organizations, in different collectives, but also 
those of us who are connecting with and relating to folks who aren't actively in struggle right now as well and trying to get them involved in struggles. This is something that I and I think just about every one of us has a lot of issue with, right? Trying to get someone interested in spending their time and energy trying to make changes, trying to change the world. And so when we look at the ways in which someone like Sister Bakari speaks about how to resolve these contradictions, it is clear that more than anything, she and her comrades who had gone through the trauma of COINTEL Pro and its continued machinations. They'd gone through splits and divisions and all kinds of harassment, uh, persecution, incarceration, things of this nature. And so it was not enough for words anymore. It was not enough simply to accuse someone of being uh, an agent or a cop or a part of COINTELPRO. And there was actually an example brought up in the Love Not Fear um, listserv that mentions how in a meeting uh, that Safia was at, there was someone who made an accusation against another comrade who they had disagreed with and could not resolve these two comrades, could not resolve the contradictions among themselves, right? And one of them accused the other of being an agent provocateur, essentially uh, being contrarian and divisive so as to cultivate a tension and a stress and a division within that uh, organization. I wasn't sure which organization it was. I don't know that it was directly mentioned. But nevertheless, this frustrated Safia quite a lot. And I believe the, the comrade who had shared this story in that listserv was there and was quite, quite taken aback by how upset, not angry, how upset, how disturbed, how uncomfortable and unhappy this accusation made uh, Sister Bakari. Because, you know, we got to think about what that that type of accusation means. We know on social media and in these different spaces and places, a lot of people get accused of being cops. A lot of people get accused of, you know, uh, having their interests paid for by this or that group, right? And there are, we cannot lie, there are for certain 
infiltrators and agents in our movements, in our organizations. We would be stupid to think that is not the case. COINTELPRO never went anywhere. If anything, it just changed its name. Um, And so if we're honest with ourselves about this and we recognize that these folks are within these spaces and places, we have to recognize what kind of weight it carries when one accuses someone else of acting as an agent or an infiltrator in these spaces and places. This is... This is serious. This is serious business. And, uh, you know, among other things, um, what really sticks out to me about Safia is her seriousness, is her passion and her concern with the general well-being, not only of this or that political prisoner, but of all political prisoners. For folks who don't know, Safia got sick uh, later on in her life. Uh, I believe she was... Actually, I'm not going to speculate on age because I don't know, but she was far too young. It was untimely, and in the, the main, it was unexpected. And it's interesting because it sticks out to me as a similar example to what happened with Claudia Jones. Claudia Jones, a Trinidadian uh, organizer with the Communist Party USA in Harlem and New York City throughout the 30s, well, I should say the 20s, 30s, and 40s, who was eventually um, exiled from the country. She was banished by the United States Um, she was sent to the United Kingdom and, you know, only a few years after arriving there, she ended up passing, um, I believe from a heart disease, uh, or a heart attack maybe. Nevertheless, um, we know that women, especially black, brown, and indigenous women, tend to be in the forefront of many movements, collectives, organizations, whether explicitly in leadership roles or by oftentimes actually being ones behind the scene who are doing the real nitty-gritty day-to-day work that needs to be done for organizations to have any ground to stand on. And so, this untimely death strikes me as particularly upsetting because if only folks like Safia and Claudia Jones and others who often were not necessarily alone, but of course we know those of us who are in the struggle We're very limited in who we can really give our full trust to, who we feel comfortable and willing to give our support to, and therefore who will be likely to give us support. And we also know that many who are 
in the struggle or in the, you know, the so-called movement, they don't all come from the same perspective, right? Not everybody's here for the same reason. Not everybody's here to really take care of one another like we're supposed to. And not all of us know how to do that either. So anyways, Safia and others who during these periods when they were struggling, they really had their work cut out for them. Because of course we know you have the Black Panther Party split. You have huge uh, schisms and divisions developing between chapters. You have a very large chasm that is developed between the East and West, thanks in no small part to the CIA. We also know that many individual members, right, had to take on a lot of responsibility at ages as young as 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And so, of course, hey, mistakes were made. However, afterwards, after those mistakes were made, after the split, after the divisions, you know, kind of ran rampant and Uh, You know, many folks had to go underground and others got locked up and others more still were assassinated. Uh, Some others more, even more, (laughs) even more folks still had to leave the country, either because they were forced to or they were forced to. You know, either someone explicitly said, get the fuck out, or they kind of read the writing on the wall and they got the fuck out themselves um nevertheless this period of time is something that really often goes unstudied the 80s 90s and early 2000s really goes like left unstudied by myself included it's not like a a sexy revolutionary upheaval time like the 60s and 70s it's not You know, it's the fall of the Soviet Union. It's the, uh, you know, questionable road of China. It's the uh, special period in Cuba. It's, you know, the overthrow or defeat of many national liberationist, anti-colonial, and uh, socialist governments around the world. So, Not a great time to be a socialist, not a great time to be a communist, not a great time to be a leftist, not a great time to be an anarchist, not a great time to be uh, in the struggle. But it's a very important time to study because this is a period of time where consolidation lessens, um, you know, reformulation, reanalyzing the movements, as they're called, and the organizations that took part in them, which still existed, you know, the few that were left standing, 
And the individuals, whether above ground or underground, who could do so, had to very seriously question what had gone wrong. Why were the Panthers able to be split? Why did the revolutionary upheaval that so many were calling for in the 60s and 70s not pan out? You know, why did all these contradictions not get resolved? And this is an important time to study because folks like Safia and others really make clear that this is the period of time where true revolutionaries are found out and where the unserious, the unprincipled, and the unmotivated are too. When we look to a lot of the studies of historical struggles across Turtle Island, there's very specific periods that we pick, and they're named the Civil Rights Era, Black Liberation Era, the Feminist Era. But when we look closer, we see many of these movements are either direct or indirect continuations of others. For example, when we look at the struggle for black or African liberation, we can draw, as we have throughout the month of Black August, not on this show, unfortunately, but elsewhere, we can draw direct connections between what has happened in the past 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and what has been happening for the last 500 years. When we look at the struggles of indigenous people, new forms new approaches, but in many cases, not so. Many tried and true forms of struggle are continuing to advance today, continuing to be brought to the youth. Young land defenders and water protectors are made every single day, and many are getting locked up. Many are being brutalized, many are being traumatized, many are being criminalized. When we look at <clears throat> the struggles for LGBTQ plus liberation, we can surely draw connections to the different gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer organizations and movements that have existed across Turtle Island. But more than this, we can also look to the struggles that have been led similarly by indigenous peoples, two spirits, and others who do not support nor abide by a gender binary, who do not support nor abide by patriarchal system 
and who daily, hourly, and by minute struggle against the different forms of prejudice, the different forms of exploitation, of sexism, misogyny, transphobia, homophobia, etc. This tends primarily to be women. This tends primarily to be non-white women. And we know that there is consequences for standing up for not only our rights, but for what is right for humanity, for human beings. Not only in, say, interpersonal relationships, in difficulties in the workplace, but we also know people face serious, life-threatening state repression, violence, incarceration, and up to assassination. They killed Malcolm, they killed Martin, they killed Fred, they killed Huey, and they've killed many more. Just because folks like Rochelle or Matulu get out doesn't mean that there aren't many, 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 many more whose names we might not even know who are locked up in county jails, in youth centers, in ICE detention, in concentration camps, in prisons, in workforces, who are exploited, who are oppressed, who are captured, controlled, condemned, and criminalized, who are removed from society, who are isolated, who are socially, politically, economically, but also physically and mentally brutalized and abused. Many of these folks who do get out try and often do hit the ground running and get right back in to movement work, as it's called. But without a concrete organization that is standing up and supporting all political prisoners behind bars, when they get out, innocent or not, uh, who wait out their trial or who decide to liberate themselves or others with visits, with commissary funds, with letters, with whatever human kindness, empathy, and support we can provide until we as a people and as organizations take on these efforts, take on these folks as a part of our own, as a part of our family, as our comrades, until we recognize that Unless we free all political prisoners today, many more will be created and many more will go unnamed and unheard from. We must not allow for division to foster anywhere. 
And one of the best places to start, one of the best places to really learn about that is organization. Because there are natural divisions and differences among people. But the way that we deal with these contradictions, as Safia speaks about, as the Black Liberation Army speaks about, as folks like Mao and Lenin and others speak about, the way that we deal with these problems amongst ourselves, amongst ourselves and people we're trying to organize alongside, is very different and has to be different than how we deal with contradictions among ourselves and our oppressors. Not everyone is the enemy. And there must be some kind of unity, some kind of organization, some kind of cohesion if we want to see an end to this oppressive system. We cannot be isolated and segmented, fractured and factionalized into our own small offshoots and off-ramp groups. We cannot consistently commit to practice and actions which have been incapable of achieving not only the resolution of contradictions, differences, and quarrels amongst ourselves and our organizations, but especially if we cannot do this, we are likely going to be incapable of also doing the same against our oppressors. Until we are able to build some kind of coordinated struggle until we are able to break away from the different factions, the different divisions, the different prejudices, and the different pre-assumptions, until we are able to build cohesive, organized struggles, we will continue to see the contradictions take over and get the better of us. We have to do what is uncomfortable. We have to speak when no one else does. We have to stand up when it doesn't seem like maybe we want to because of how we might be targeted, what kind of consequences we might suffer, or because nobody else is. We have to recognize deep down in our hearts and in our minds that there is a very right, you know, there's a right way to struggle and there's a wrong way to struggle. And we got to start looking concretely at whether or not we think, honestly, we've been struggling right all the way, all the way seriously. I know I haven't. I know many of us haven't. Because if we have, then something else is going on. Something else is wrong. If we still are seeing these issues, if we are still suffering these types of divisions, then something has to be said for that. Maybe we are not as revolutionary as many of us think we are. Maybe we are not as socialist as many of us think we are. All I know is I'm looking forward to learning more that Safia is able to teach me and others from 
beyond this, you know, side of the earth. And I'm also interested to learn more and connect with more of you. I put an episode out called A Call to the Movement. Now, many of my episodes are very critical. These tend to be more often than not criticisms of things that I'm seeing in myself and that I feel the need to speak on so as to openly call myself out. In this case, I'm not allowed to pretend as if I don't know. And I'm also able to learn from others like yourselves how I and those around me can really build the momentum, the motivation, the courage, the strength, and the organization to see through the objectives that we need to see. African liberation, indigenous liberation, LGBTQ plus liberation, women's liberation. And I want to say this because I'm saddened by how little connection I have to the youth in my family. Growing up, this is going to take a moment here. Um, thinking about how many kids my family has, I grew up in a weird family situation. Um, I was adopted. I have many siblings who are older than me, and so therefore I have a lot of nieces and nephews, 13 to be exact, of which I have connection with basically none. Growing up, you know, staying in my house and everything, I saw them a lot. I had a much more deeper connection with them maybe three, four years ago when I was still staying at my folks' house. However, since moving out, since coming out as trans, since, you know, openly smoking pot, not being a Christian, being a you know, communist, whatever you want to call me. Um, Definitely put some division between me and my family. And I don't think it'll ever be fully repaired or overcome. I think many of them are too far gone. But nonetheless, my point. So many kids came through my house also growing up because my mom ran a daycare. And so my whole childhood, we had 10, 11, 12 other children running around my house. And something that's always stuck out to me is how pure the soul and the experience of childhood can and should be. And it really makes me sad how many kids are going to grow up thinking, I mean, I just talked with my nephew, he's 19, and my niece who's 16, and listening to them explain, you know, what they're going to do. They're going to go off to college, one of them's going to start a clothing brand I guess and then the other one's gonna be uh, a dance they're gonna own a dance studio and it's really hard because I never want to put anybody down I hate being the person that's like uh well it might not work out so I really bite my tongue now more than I used to in these situations and just you know encourage people to take seriously their dreams if it's something that they think that that is you know, what they want to do, then they need to take seriously what that means. They need to study. They need to look into researching what others who have tried to do that have experienced. They need to talk with other people, not just go to college, go into student debt, and then fucking figure it out. 
If you're going to own a dance studio, okay, cool. How? Tell me. You know, let's. I'll work through it with you. We can talk about it. We can think about it. Because I really do think that if and when a lot of people my age and younger took seriously and thought through seriously the idea of going to college to get a career to make a couple extra thousand dollars to pay off your student loan debt for 40 years probably would come to the conclusion that maybe it's not the choice for them. And more importantly, I believe that if we were to really critically engage with the youth, the youth that we see, the you know, children in our family, in our friends, in our friend groups, uh, you know, maybe we work as a teacher or daycare assistant or, you know, we're interacting with students or something, right? We need to be encouraging them that life can and should be more than just poverty. That life can and should be more than just struggling and suffering to make ends meet. That if we're going to struggle, if we're going to suffer, that it should be for it all. It should be for the whole ticket. You want me to struggle and suffer like my folks did, like my siblings are, like everybody else around me is... For a thirty-five, forty, or fifty thousand dollar a year job or less? No, absolutely not. My life, your life, your children's lives, your nieces and nephews' lives, students' lives, kids' lives, human beings' lives are worth far more than some stupid degree than some fucking bullshit job and certainly is worth far more than the amount of money that they got in their pocket or they got in their bank account because we know for goddamn sure that the amount of money we get paid certainly isn't shit compared to the money that our bosses get paid for the jobs that we do for the work that we do for them Not the work that they do, but the work that they pay us pennies on the dollar to do for them so that they can make a profit. We know concretely, not that this is a decision that business makers make or business owners make, not that this is, uh, you know, an accidental or uh, happenstance of conditions that you know, capitalism has gone rotten and now people have to bring it back. You know, we can have good cap. No, capitalism, the system at large, how society is structured is fundamentally based on the relationship between those who own and are able to employ people and take their surplus value, the labor they create, sell it for a profit and keep the majority of it and those who own nothing but their physical or mental capabilities to labor, their labor power. That is the fundamental foundation of capitalism. It's not a question of a good capitalist or a bad capitalist. It's not a question of big business or small business. It's not a question of cooperative or 
wage increases or benefits. It is a question fundamentally of how things are produced, how business is run, how commerce is exchanged, and how trade happens, how interactions and relationships are built within this field, this sector of society known as trade, as uh, commerce, as imports and exports, as production, aka capitalism. The way we produce things, what we produce them for, who produces them and who gets to buy them, who gets to set the prices, who gets to, you know, gets forced to pay what the prices are set at. These are very specifically concretized groups. We know who we belong to. We don't get to go into the grocery store and say, well, actually, you know, this rice, it costs, you know, X, Y, Z to grow it, to harvest it, to water it, and to pay the employees. And so that's what I'm going to pay. We don't get to say, oh, you know, workers are getting laid off left and right. We're going to put price caps on groceries and and, uh, energy resources. We don't get to say our co-workers who are working every single day, working their butts off, get to get a, uh, you know, a pay increase. We don't get to decide that. But there are people who do. There are people who get to decide what is produced and who gets to buy it. There are people who set other people's wages and hire and fire people. There are folks who exploit and there are folks who are exploited. This is very clear. It's not something that we need to think very long and hard about. But there are contradictions and there are contradictions among us. And so we have to understand deeper than just exploiter and exploited. We have to understand that among the exploited, there are also exploiters. We have to understand that among the exploited, the mindset, the practices, the behaviors, the culture, the prejudices are incorporated and indoctrinated into the minds of the exploited to sow division, to sow hatred to sow counter-revolution and to keep us down. And so we have to fight that every single day, not with words, but with actions and words, but not words alone. We have to understand that divisions can be overcome. We have to understand that prejudices can be worked through, contradictions can be resolved. Not every ignorant person will remain ignorant, and especially if they are to interact with an organization or individuals who are a part of an organization who are committed to rooting out ignorance, to rooting out political education, to rooting out misinformation, to rooting out all kinds of prejudices through action, then we know that I... Many of us who grow up in very racist, misogynistic, transphobic, you know, homophobic situations such as I did can come from the reactionary perspectives that they hold 
and break. Break from them. However, we also know that these reactionary ideals, practices, and beliefs exist among the people. And so we must root out contradictions resolutely with the objective of building stronger unity than ever before. Because at the end of the day, what we need is the ability to unite against our common enemy within our common struggle. And that is, as Sister Safia says, against the racist, misogynistic, transphobic, homophobic, imperialistic, capitalistic U.S. empire and all of its allies, all of its manifestations, all of its machinations. We must understand deeply and concretely and we must work tirelessly to bring this knowledge, this experience that folks like Sister Bakari and others have been able to engage in and bring to us through their works, through their speeches, through their actions. And we have to embody that, educate ourselves and educate others and practice that until it becomes a reality. And then we must continue to progress forward. Revolutionary struggle has no end. Revolutionary struggle must continue through and through, all the way until finally oppression and exploitation are no longer. Now, this is something that (laughs) I'm certain will take a long time, but that just means we need to try that much harder now so it will take even less time to free all our political prisoners, to have an African struggle, a pan-Africanism for African liberation fully for indigenous sovereignty and political power on Turtle Island and across the world for oppressed and exploited people to finally see an end to the systems of oppression that have been keeping them down through mass revolutionary struggle and popular political power building we know what is necessary because we see but the consequences of what has come before have brought us today. The question remains the same. What are we willing to do? All power to the people. All power rest in power. Sister Safia Bukhari. Thank you so much.